almost completed 2017, a few hours left. And although it's good to look back, I'm actually wanting to look forward mostly today. Now, inevitably, this is a bit of a, a sort of dead time, we might say, a bit of a dull time, where, you know, there's the festivities of Christmas and we're all recovering from that and overeating and all the rest of it. And then we may be expecting to stay up late tonight and a bit more festivities. And you think, well, I suppose this is just a fill-in time. But I really, really don't think that is what God wants to say today. He wants it to be today. I believe already our worship has stirred us about Jesus. And I want this to be a meaningful half an hour. Genuinely feel God has put something on my heart to share with you at this point. It's the last of our Streams in the Desert series, looking at Isaiah. And although we're not going to be digging in in detail, Isaiah has been a great inspiration. And one of the things about the book of Isaiah is that he has a very big view of God. In fact, the book of Isaiah is a magnificent book. If you haven't read it recently, read it as you go into the new year. It's probably, it's someone described as the Mount Everest of the Old Testament prophetic books anyway. It is a high point in Old Testament prophetic literature. And it gives a great insight into God. There's a lot of stuff in Isaiah about God and what he's like. And it's a big view of God. And today we're going to look at one characteristic that is true of God still. It's something that will impact us and affect our lives. And this characteristic is that God often, certainly from our point of view, appears to act suddenly. So our title this morning is Suddenly, because Isaiah gets hold of this fact, and God imparts to him insights about it, and it comes up several times in the book. Let's just look at one verse. So Clive, if you could put up Isaiah 48, verse 3. That's just the verse I want to focus around this morning, though we will look at other verses, but they'll come up on the screen later. This is something God says to his people. I foretold the former things long ago. My mouth announced them, and I made them known. Then suddenly I acted, and they came to pass. God is reminding Israel of the past and of what he's done in the past with his people. And he's warning them, actually, in this context, about the situation they're in now, where they've turned their back on God, and he's warning them prophetically through Isaiah and others. He says, look, don't think I'm never going to do anything. This is how it it works with me. I announce things, make them known, and then suddenly I act. And in his commentary, Alec Mottier puts this very succinctly. So I've got it up on the screen if you'd pop it up. The little quote, this is a characteristic of God. And it's characteristic through the Bible and through history. Undated prediction coupled with sudden fulfillment. That is how our God works. Undated prediction coupled with sudden fulfillment. Now, you can find that characteristic in many, many ways through the Bible, but one that's clearly very fresh in our minds, we've even had a reminder this morning with our songs, is the birth of Jesus. We're just last week, last Monday, remembering it on Christmas Day. And the birth of Jesus is exactly that. There's a long promise of the Messiah. There are many predictions about him, multiple predictions that ultimately come uh, true very accurately through the birth of Uh, actually precisely the birth. If you remember your Christmas uh, carol services of only a week or two ago, you know, predictions in the Old Testament about Bethlehem and about a virgin giving birth. Then later, predictions about Jesus' death, Isaiah 53 and other places. Long 
uh, before accurate about his side being pierced, all sorts of things, and then a sudden fulfillment when he arrives and it all begins to happen. And the funny thing is, when Jesus did arrive, when he was born, as we again probably remembered over the last couple of weeks, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, the Jewish scholars, the Jewish theologians, actually, of the day, and leading religious figures, could tell the three wise men, might not have been three, the wise men, could tell the wise men exactly where to go, because of these predictions, go to Bethlehem. But the really strange thing was, they didn't go themselves, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and they missed Jesus completely. And that is sobering. And that's so, so they actually knew that something was going to happen. The Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. And when these really rather odd characters, to them, they were Gentile pagan people, these kings from the east came, they could say, well, it, it, you know, we know from our studies, Bethlehem. But they themselves didn't feel it was the right moment, didn't go. And when they actually met Jesus later, rejected him. And that is sobering. R.T. Kendall has written a book called When God Shows Up. It's not on the screen. This isn't a quote on the screen. It's easy to understand. But he writes this. Countless incidents in the Bible tell of the Lord showing up when he wasn't expected, although he should have been, and showing up in a manner that was surprising. God continues to do this today. And we must be open to the unexpected time and the unexpected manner of his coming. For we may even be surprised to find he has been around and we haven't recognized him. And that, that is genuinely a characteristic of God. So I would slightly alter Alec Mottier's brilliant phrase by adding my own set, sort of phrase. I'd say this is the characteristic of God. Undated prediction coupled with sudden fulfillment in an unexpected and surprising manner. I'd added that on. Because I think that is a classic way God works, through history and through the Bible. Now, you could say, why would God do that? Why does he have that approach to things? Why does he, in a way, warn us, tell us, give us great detail, but then come in a surprising and in a sudden manner that often catches us off balance? Well, I think you could quickly say three things, and I think I would like to say them, because they're always going to be true. God operating that way avoids any human manipulation. We cannot manipulate. People try to manipulate the second coming of Jesus, which we'll give a few moments to before we finish. But you can't manipulate. God has said no one knows the time or the date. You, you, there are lots of indications, but you cannot manipulate it. You can't also, in the end, put it down to a demon or an idol or a false god because when God moves, there is something unusual about it that makes it clear it's God. Jesus, you know, the way he came as the son of God, it was no way that that was set up by the religious establishment of, for example, first century Israel or by the Romans or Herodians or anybody else. There was something that made it obvious it was God. Another reason God operates that way is to keep his people dependent on him and waiting on him. We have an anticipation he's going to do something. There is something that stirs in our hearts, but we can't make it happen. We have to say, God, will you do it? God, we're waiting on you. And God wants us like that. 
Even as we go into a new year, that will be relevant. And God has arranged it also so that really the only people that really get it when he moves are a certain type of person. And we've got a quote on this one. If you could put up Isaiah 66, please, verses 1 to 2. Because this is a little clue about that. God's speaking and he says, Heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. Where is the house you'll build for me? I'm, so, I'm the creator of all things. Where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things so they came into being? We're talking about the creator of everything. The end from the beginning. He knows the end from the beginning. He is outside of time and space because he made time and space. He's the great I am. He said, well, you know, how are you going to engage with me? But then he says this. These are the ones I look on with favor. Those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. And God says, those are the people who will get it when I come. And that was true when Jesus came. It was the, the Hannah, it was the, 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 those that were just the humble shepherds, the, the ones in the, um, in the temple waiting. can't remember his name. Can't, Simeon, thank you. I do have a problem with names. Apologies to those I forget. So Simeon, apologies, sorry Simeon. Um, but you know, they, they, they were, why did they get it and the chief priests and the Pharisees didn't? Because they were humble and contrite of heart and they already were trembling at God's word, which is a lovely phrase. It's not a horrible phrase. They were respectful of God's word. They were eager to see God do what God said and they were prepared for God to do it and looking for God to do it. And that's a characteristic of those who see it and get it. Now, we haven't time to explore this, but a few verses further on in Isaiah 66, it won't be on the screen, God talks about those who miss him coming altogether. And in fact, he hints that when he does come, they will find it unpleasant and a time of judgment. And here's a summary of those people. The ones who have chosen their own ways and delight in their abominations. So there's a contrast between those who choose their own ways and really delight in all their own stuff, their own sin and their own rebellion, and those who are humble and contrite and tremble at God's word. The first category will probably always be there, get it when God turns up. They'll be ready. They may be slow at first, but they'll get it. They may be a bit like John the Baptist's dad, who was a bit hesitant, but in the end he got there. You know, but they will see it. But those who are going their own ways will probably miss it altogether. So as we think about the year ahead, we've got to be ready for God to move. And to be ready, we need to be people of a humble and contrite heart and people who tremble at God's word. I just want to address the fact that we've, we've got something to learn from this. Because even as I was thinking about this and preparing, I was thinking, we who live in the West, us, me and you, who are 21st century Western-minded people, I say that particularly Western-minded, you'll see why in a moment, I think we quite struggle with the idea that God might still do this. I think even those of us who are Christians, even those of us who are theologically wired a bit, not just the non-Christian world, would struggle. We, we would probably be a little bit inclined to think, well, God doesn't behave like that these days. Today, we can understand how God moves. Maybe they were a little primitive. They were a little simple. They didn't quite get it. 
We understand a lot now. We understand a lot about the world and about creation. We understand a lot about the human psychology. We understand how to plan things. We understand how to, how to prepare well. We know how to organize well. We've got a lot going for us. And really, I'm not sure that we would expect God to suddenly turn up and surprise us. I think we'd prefer to plan. I think we could plan and prepare. It's a little bit how we are. It's a little bit like as if God has become like a lion in an old-fashioned circus. I know they don't do this now, but a lion in an old-fashioned circus, he's still slightly scary, but actually we've got him under control, and we can get him to perform basically to what we want him to do. Let me tell you, there is no way God is like that. The lion of the tribe of Judah has never changed. And he will be what he will be. And he will do what he will do. And he does not have to fit into our plans. He doesn't like to. He doesn't choose to. He will give us an understanding of what he's going to do if our hearts are open. And those who have got a humble heart and are ready, he will meet with. But he will do it his way. And he hasn't changed one bit. He says, I, the Lord, do not change. That could be pretty obvious. And here's a, a psalm verse about people who do think a little bit like the mindset I just said just now. This is Psalm 55, if you could pop that one up. God, who is enthroned from of old, who does not change, he will hear them, that's the sort of people who think they've got it under control, and humble them because they have no fear of God. Basically, if we're not ready for God, sometimes his turning up is very uncomfortable and it's very troubling. So, in the last half of my time... I want to make this much more real to us. I want to briefly talk about how we could experience God suddenly. So you could pop that up, please, for me, the title. How could we experience the suddenly of God? How might this be relevant to us? And I'm just going to take three simple points and briefly highlight them. The first is the word personal. You could pop that up. There are many personal suddenlies in the Bible, many of them. You can see them with Abraham, you can see them with Jacob, Moses, Joshua, David, Isaiah. In fact, the list is endless, where people are caught out but delighted and turned upside down by a suddenly of God. Here's one from the New Testament. Could you put it up? Acts 9, very well known, about Saul. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now, we know that, we're familiar with it, and we think of it as very dramatic and all the rest of it. But actually, get the context. Saul was at that point not particularly expecting anything to happen. In fact, he had a very plan, a great, a real plan and a real purpose. He was going to Damascus to deal with Christians who were a nuisance and who he thought were blasphemous from a point of view of a pharisaical man. And he had a clear plan and a clear purpose and he was about his own business. And suddenly God interrupted it. Not only interrupted it, but it changed everything. His life changed from that moment. God had a plan that prior to that, Saul had known nothing about. And suddenly God says, I've got a plan for you. You've got a plan? I've got a plan. You're going to be my apostle to the Gentiles. You're not only going to follow me, the Lord Jesus said to him, but you're going to be a light for me. You're going to be a witness for me. 
It was an amazing turnaround. And his, all, his whole world turned upside down. Well, actually, it turned right side up. And suddenly, everything, suddenly, I mean that, suddenly, everything he had considered important and valuable, he basically saw like a pile of dung. That's his own words later on. Everything changed. All the things that had driven him, all the reasons he'd lived, all the reasons why he was even doing what he was doing at that moment were suddenly so unimportant and so different. Now, I believe God can do that in our lives too. Some of us would have testimonies to that. It's not like as though there's no clue beforehand that something's going to happen. It's not like that. There often is a sort of undated prediction, a sort of build-up, But then suddenly, God turns up, and it really does change everything. And I would love God to do that for us this year, for you. So, oh, I don't know if I want that. No, I hope you get it, though. Because I think those are the things that excite us. These aren't all bad. God doesn't turn up to hurt you. He may turn your life upside down. It may not be comfortable, and it might be costly. It was costly to Paul. But he would never have regretted it. He would have never said, oh, I wish I'd been left as a Pharisee persecuting Christians. No way would he have said that. He, he was delighted. He said, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. So yes, it cost him. Yes, it changed all his plans. But he would not ever have gone back. I believe God can do that for some of you, perhaps for all of you potentially. In a year or two's time, you may be living somewhere different, doing something completely different. God can say, I want you to do this. I'm going to change all your plans. You think, I've got the next five years planned, I've got the next ten years planned. You don't know what my plans are. Now, I don't think, as I want to keep saying, that it happens always in a total vacuum. There's stuff going on, but then suddenly something breaks in and changes everything. And the perspective, the call of God. We may think we've got it all sorted. We may think that actually, I know I'm in the right, yeah, yeah, I think it's all just steady. And And God says, no, I've got something much bigger for you. And it may well change the whole way you operate. There can be, and there often are, personal suddenlies. There may be some of you here who are not yet followers of Jesus. Perhaps you're here because you've got a sort of interest in it. Probably you have. I hope you're going to have a suddenly where, like Paul, you suddenly get it that Jesus is Lord and Saviour, and you suddenly realise that he's not just an interesting intellectual philosophical concept. He is a personal Saviour who wants your life as his follower. It will revolutionise you, but it will bless you. It will save you. I pray that for you as soon as possible in the year ahead. In fact, I'd like you to have that today before it even gets to 2018. Let's briefly talk about corporate, because we talked about personal, but there's a lot of corporate suddenlies in the Bible. If you know your Bible, think of Exodus, the people coming out. They've been there 400 years. Suddenly, things began to change. A little bit of a build-up, certainly, with all the plagues, but then there was a day when Pharaoh let them go, and they were suddenly a nation, out on their own, under God. Think of Jericho. Think of the breaking of the siege of uh, Samaria, Samaria, the restoration of Jerusalem under Cyrus, Nehemiah, the day the king said to him, yeah, you can go back. 
Suddenly that was going to change everything for Israel. We could go on. Esther's moment of breakthrough when the king said, what do you want? And she was able to bring a change to the whole future of her nation who, who were there under a sentence of death in effect. And a day came when it all turned round and the Jews became from the bottom of the pile to the top of the pile in terms of that culture at that time. And suddenly that prepared the way, suddenly for a restoration as well. It's a fascinating story. But let's take a New Testament one, a corporate suddenly. Can you put up Acts 2, well known again. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven, filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak in tongues, in other tongues, as the Spirit enabled them. Now, just remember the context again. There's 120 people here, and life hasn't been too bad in recent weeks. I mean, it's pretty grim a few weeks earlier, a few months earlier, when Jesus was crucified. But just recently, it's been great. They've seen the risen Jesus. They know he's alive. They've heard from him. He's taught them. It's been amazing sort of um, Bible school, I guess, for a few weeks. They have hope and expectation for the future, they're probably in quite a good place. There was much to enjoy and talk about. But actually, this wasn't it. There was something more that needed to happen. It wasn't they were in a dire position. By now, they're in a very happy position. But actually, this isn't it. And I feel that could be true for us as a church. It could be true for many church situations. It's certainly, I would feel, true for us as a nation. There are a lot of good things happening in the church in Britain. There's a lot of good things happening in this church. But whether it's this church or this city or this nation, I want a suddenly of God. I want something more than we yet experience. And I'm going to pray for it. And we're going to pray for it before we go home this morning for ourselves and for the church. Lord, we want you to move. Rend the heavens and come down. Lord, we need your suddenly. We need the breakthrough of your spirit where you turn the whole thing round. You know, it's a characteristic of church history. You can see it very easily when you read it through. Two things go on, and they're both important. One is faithful witnesses, clearly, faithfully, getting hold of the gospel, working it out day by day in the hard graft of normal life. That is vitally important. And the church has been built Because that's gone on for 2,000 years. And as many of us in this room who are in that tradition, good tradition it is. We love Jesus. We faithfully serve him. We witness to him at work. We talk to our friends. We pray for our family. We keep going, persevering, faithful, brilliant. The other thing you will see in church history is suddenlies of God. Again and again, a breaking of the Spirit. Again and again, something that changes everything. Changes the way you even look at church sometimes. Changes the way you do church. Changes the way you relate to the world. Changes. Think of Wesley or Whitfield. People weren't preaching in the open air. Nobody was doing it. They thought it was a horrible, offensive thing to do. You had to keep within a holy building to do this sort of thing. And they're out in the, they were ostracized for it. But it was all part of a move of God in their hearts. And it broke the thing out of the church. It broke it into the society. I saw people who would never have gone near a church, like the miners in Wales and, and southwest of England, who were saved in their thousands by the witnessing and, and by the preaching of, 
Whitfield and Wesley. That's a very clear one, but there are multiple examples. Sometimes at a small level, I would say I've had the privilege of experiencing it. So many of you in, in your own church life where it does sort of turn everything upside down. It isn't all comfortable. It isn't all pleasant, but it's God and it's wonderful. And it changes the way you think, the way you worship, the way you evangelize. God, do it again. Not because it's rubbish, but because we need it. The church only goes forward on those two, if you like, feet. Faithful, clear, persevering witness and breakthroughs of the Spirit, waves of the Spirit, waves of the Spirit. We need another wave of the Spirit, don't we? I think we do. And I think we should pray for it. God coming suddenly and unexpectedly. Finally, there's what I've called the universal suddenly. Now, there are less of these, in a sense, obviously. I should think perhaps one of the biggest, probably the biggest so far, is in the first few verses of Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. Now, whatever you view about the evolution-creation debate, for me, there is no doubt there is a creator. There is a designer. There is someone who was the prime motivator, who got it all going. Scientists describe it as the Big Bang. I think we've just read the biblical version of it in those early verses. There was a time when there was nothing, and God spoke, and there was something. In fact, there was the material for everything. God spoke, and suddenly, and it is suddenly, scientists would talk about milliseconds and, I don't know, micro, I don't know what they're talking, as though suddenly there's blank nothing, and then bam, there's something. Now, that's them trying to understand it. I think the Bible tells us God began it all, and he will finish it all, too, because there's another bigger suddenly coming. Let's read about it. 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 to 6. You can pop that up. Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But, brothers and sisters, you are not in the darkness, in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. One day, Jesus will return, and God will wrap up history and this world as we know it. It will be both a glorious day and a terrible day, the day of the Lord, the final climactic example of this characteristic of God, uh, undated prediction. And by the way, there are more predictions of the second coming of Jesus than there are of the first. So if he's come once, he's very likely, certainly, to come again. Just let you know. So that will be the characteristic undated predictions and a sudden fulfillment that will surprise many, except those who tremble at his word and have humble and contrite hearts. All evil will be dealt with and judged forever. 
the heavens and the earth refined by fire and a new heaven and a new earth formed. This new creation can only be inhabited by those who are already experiencing the new creation in their hearts. Now that sounds a bit weird. It's not. It's very, very simple. Jesus said, if you come to me, and this is a grace offer of God, there's nothing you can do to earn it. It's totally free. If you come to me and acknowledge your need of a new heart and a new start, acknowledge your failure, your weakness, your sin, and you say, Lord, please forgive me. Please cleanse me. Please change me. Please take me as yours. If you do that, you will be born again of the Holy Spirit. It's a supernatural. The Holy Spirit will come into you and you become a new creation on the inside with a new heart and a new spirit. You will begin to taste of that age that's still to come. And so when that new age comes, when that old one is wrapped up, this one is wrapped up, new one, the ones who are there will be those who were already ready in their hearts because they already knew the Lord before that moment. You can be in that position this morning. If you're not already, please do it now. Because I cannot guarantee at all how long it will be before Jesus comes back. There are signs, there are things that give you some ideas, and I'm not even going to go into them this morning. But there is a very, very clear principle in Scripture that there is no dating on this, but it will happen. I am absolutely convinced that Jesus will come back in a pretty straightforward way. Let me give you what I think is the clearest Bible verses about it. It's Acts 1, if you could put them up, please. Acts 1, verses 9 to 11. I think this is the clarity and simplicity of Scripture. Christians complicate it sometimes. After he said this, this is Jesus, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, this last phrase is very clear, this same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. You can't really mess that up, can you? The return of Jesus is not, the second coming of Jesus, is not a poetic biblical way of describing Pentecost. It is not a poetic biblical way of describing the conversion of a person to be a Christian. It is not a poetic biblical way of describing what happens to a Christian when they die. It is not a poetic biblical way of describing the growth of the church and the spread of the gospel. These are things some people have said, they're all rubbish. Basically, it is Jesus coming back again. It's very, very clear. This same Jesus will come back in the same way you've seen him go. He will be tangible, physical, present, and returning as a king supreme and as a judge. And if you don't know him as your Lord and Savior now, it will be too late then. But thank God you can know him now. He can be your friend, your Lord, your Savior now, and that's how he will continue to be in the age to come. You begin a relationship that will go on forever. Please, please join us in being part of that company who look forward 
to that sudden return of Jesus. Because for all of us, even those of us who anticipate it, it will be sort of sudden. One Corinthians, it's not on the screen, 1 Corinthians 15, 52 describes it in a flash, in a twinkling of an eye. Suddenly, it'll happen. I like that. I think that's exciting. This is my last verse, if you could put it up, Matthew 24. This is the only right response. It is not to get your calculator out or to get out your great big chart and try and work out what's going to happen or to study who's the latest uh, candidate for the 666 Antichrist. No, no, no. It's none of that. None of it. This is the way you respond. You don't do that. You do this. You must also be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. How do you get ready? Isaiah told us. You're humble and contrite of heart, and you tremble at his word. How you get ready is to be ready all the time, to be open to God, to want to please him, to tremble at his word, to say, Lord, help me to be walking with you and obeying you so that when you come, I will be more than happy. I won't be embarrassed and ashamed. I won't be fearful. I will be rejoicing at your return. Amen? Like John, at the end of Revelation, you can pray with open heart every day, if you like, come Lord Jesus. I think some of us do that now. And that may be a feature of age. I understand. I was young once. And I also thought, oh, I'm not sure I want him to come back before I'm married, got a decent job, got kids, all those things. But actually, whatever the new heavens and new earth are like, they're going to be a lot better than anything here. Anything. Anything. All sin, sickness, sorrow, gone. Wonderful. So let's also pray for that. Now we are finishing here. And how we're going to finish this morning, we're going to give you going to give me, I'm going to ask you to kindly give me five minutes to pray. So we're not actually going to rush to the cup of tea yet. We're going to have five minutes before our cups of tea. And I want you to pray. There are different ways you could pray at the end. You might want to be on your own, in which case you might politely just show that to someone. And you might just want to think, Lord, have you got a suddenly for me this year? Or you might want to ask Jesus into your heart, please do, become a Christian this morning and tell one of us about it. I would encourage most of you to pray in just twos or threes, and I'd like you to pray for God's suddenlies to break into lives of people you might be concerned for, whether it's a backsitting child or relative, that God will suddenly break in. He can turn them around in a moment. I want you to believe that. Don't lose faith. Say, well, I've been praying for them for 10 years. Yeah, God can break in this year and turn that person right back. So I'd like to pray for someone to be saved in your family or friends. Maybe just pray, God, help me to be ready for your call in my life. Pray for the church. Mind you, we need more than five minutes we're going to do this. You have to decide together which you'll emphasize. Pray for a suddenly amongst us in 2018. God, come. Break in on Hope Church Winchester. Pray for a suddenly in our nation. And if you want to, pray for Jesus to come back. There's no harm in saying, come, Lord Jesus. It's a good, a good tradition. It's what John did. So please let's have a few minutes prayer. We'll have some music in the background. And I will bring it to an end in a moment. Just maybe less than five minutes, four or five minutes. Really pray for the year ahead. You're praying for the year ahead. Praying for suddenlies in individuals, in our church, in our nation, whatever God leads you. Let's do it.